Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. My question is, why do we prepare people for hard things? Like, why, why do we warn someone of future hardship? It's always so that they'll get through it, right? We, we, we warn people that something's going to be hard so that when that thing comes their way, they, they're able to make it through it, right? Like, if you're, if you're driving and you see a yellow sign and it has a squiggly arrow on it, you know that that means the road has you know, curves ahead. And why is that there? It's so that the curves don't catch you by surprise. You can make the proper adjustments. You can pass through the section safely and go about your day. And in the Hillstad Mobile, that also reminds us to pass the bucket uh, to our kid that likes to throw up in the car. <laughs> There's one in every family, isn't there? I remember the, the day my... Uh, my, my mom was with me the day I was going to leave for the Navy. It was August 21st, 2001. This was one month, uh, sorry, this is 18 years. I was 18 years, one month, and two weeks old uh, at the time. It was a sunny August day, and my mom was a train wreck. I mean, just a nervous wreck. And I, I was cool as a cucumber because I didn't really know it was coming my way, right? Uh, you know, if I could have gone through it once and then relived that day it might have been a little bit different but my mom was a bit of a mess and I thought it was just because she was gonna like miss me or something like that which I'm sure that was a part of it but big picture I realized what was really going on in my mom and her soul and stuff like this and her emotions when she started to talk she goes just promise me you'll keep your mouth shut <laughs> promise me just like okay buddy you just you're gonna be be quiet okay <laughs> she knew I I was a kid that could run my mouth and try to be funny, and that doesn't bode well for a young recruit going through boot camp. And uh, why did my mom do that? Because we, we, pre- we prepare the people we love for future hardships so that when that hard thing comes their way, they make it through it. My mom wanted me to persevere through boot camp, all right? And now here's the deal. If you're going to follow Christ, there's any number of hardships that you're going to face. It's going to happen. Uh, one of such hardships is that the world might not like you, right? Like if they don't like Jesus and you start to look, sound, and smell a little bit like Jesus, they might not like you either. And if you're not prepared for that, um, your faith might waver when it happens. Right? If you're, but if you, if you know what's coming, though, it's not going to rock you as hard. If you know it's coming, then you have a lot greater chance of persevering through it. In the passage of Scripture that we're going to read today, Jesus is going to warn his closest followers to prepare in a shift in the world. Prepare for a shift in the world from hospitable to hostile, from receiving hospitality to receiving hostility. And we'll see that uh, at the end of this warning, the disciples kind of miss his point. Uh, But I don't want us to make the same mistake. So what we're going to do 
is read this passage together, and then I, I want us all to pray, and let's, let's just ask God to help us not miss the point, help us to actually get this point, and, and then adjust our lives accordingly, and then let's walk through it one verse at a time, and, um, and, I, and I trust, I trust that God has so prepared your heart this morning that you walk out of here differently because of what Jesus spoke in this paragraph. So here it is. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 through 38. And he said to them, When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? But they said, Nothing. He said to them, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has a sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now, church? Uh, Jesus, we, we hear these, these words from this conversation that you had so many years ago. And, and I, th I think the disciples, when they first heard it, they kind of misunderstood what you're saying. God, we don't want to do that. They, they, they missed the point. Would you help us to get the point? And so much more than just understand the point, would you help us apply the point to our lives? Would this actually change the way we think and go about our day-to-day? to your glory, for the sake of a world who needs you, even if they hate you. I pray these things. Amen. All right, so before diving in, let's ask, do you know when this conversation took place? Like when in the big timeline of the Gospels? It's really important to know that this conversation took place on the night before the cross. At the beginning of Luke chapter 22, Luke explains that the chief uh, priests and scribes were seeking to put him to death. They were seeking how to put him to death, M meaning uh, the, the super religious elite leaders of the day were coming up with a plan to kill Jesus. And then Luke records that Judas, compelled by Satan, went and conferred with those elite religious leaders, the, the chief priests and the officers, and together they agreed upon an arrangement to betray Jesus. So, so this was the night. If you've read the gospel, you're familiar with this night. Uh, Luke records that they, that night they ate the Passover meal together. Right? That was the night that Jesus instituted specifically the Lord's Supper. It was the night that he took the bread and he took the, the wine and he said, you know, this, this bread, it actually represents my body that's about to be broken. This, this, this wine, it actually represents my blood that is about to be spilled, about to be poured out for, for you. Right? Jesus is saying, you see, the things that we're about to eat right now, what they actually represent is what's about to happen to me on the cross. And then uh, from there, Jesus would go into the garden of Gethsemane and he'd fall on his face and he would pray, Father, is there any other way we could do this? Is there any other way this could happen? And then he would be arrested. 
in that garden. He would be falsely tried. He would be mocked. He would be spat on. A crown of, thron- uh, a crown of thorns uh, placed on his head and driven into his, into his skin. And he, he would be beaten and lashed. And he would be nailed to a cross. This was, this was that night. And just before all that, Jesus says this to his followers. Let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell uh, uh, his cloak and buy one because this scripture has to be fulfilled in me. What on earth is Jesus talking about? Why did he say that? Why did he say that then? Let's take this one verse at a time and try to understand what he was saying. Let's try to understand why he was saying it, and let's try to understand what's that got to do with us, all right? So the, uh, I think there are kind of three points. If you understand these, you'll understand the point Jesus was making to his disciples. The first one is that he's, he's reminding them that there was a time when they had favor with the general population. That means that there was a time, there was a season when they just had favor, when people liked them. Uh, verse 35, and he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or nap, uh, knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. The money bag, this is a little leather pouch for coins. The knapsack, this is a bigger leather bag for supplies and food, so on. The sandals, these, these are what we wear for the two and a half weeks in Wisconsin when it's not winter, okay? This is talking about the general provisions and supplies that you need to just stay alive. Especially when you're traveling uh, in first century Palestine, traveling by, by foot, this is what you need. And in chapter 10, Luke had recorded that Jesus sent out his 72 disciples, uh, 72 of his disciples, he sent them out two by two on kind of like a little missions trip. And they were going to travel around to different villages and they were going to preach the gospel in these villages. They were going to pray uh, for the sick in these villages and pray that God would heal them and so on. And on those expeditions, it's like Jesus had sovereignly arranged for all their needs to be met. It's like Jesus pre-planned all their meals for them. And, 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 and all of their needs would be met on this trip through the favor of certain people. Through people's hospitality, Jesus specifically commanded them in Luke chapter 10, verse 4. He said, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals. Those things sound familiar. During that time, they were supposed to depend entirely upon people's hospitality for all their needs. And Jesus says, do you guys remember that time? Do you you remember that? Did you ever go hungry during that time? Did you ever have a night with no roof over your head? Did you lack anything? And he said, nothing. You see, there was a time when everyone loved Jesus. There was a time when those who were following him had favor with the general population. But the second thing Jesus wants his followers to understand is that things were about to change. There's a time when they had great favor with people, but that was about to change. Verse 36, he says to them, but now, you hear that? But now, like the paradigm's about to shift, right? Something is about to change, but now let the one who has a money bag take it. And before that, he, he had said, don't take your money bag. Now he says, take it. 
And likewise, a knapsack. Before he said, don't, don't carry a knapsack. Now he, now he says, I want you to carry it. Translation, you are not going to be able to count on the hospitality of the general population any longer. Jesus is saying, you're, you're going to have to bring your supplies with you. You have to bring a little bit of spending money. And not only that, he adds, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Now we get to the big what on earth is Jesus talking about here? Like none of us, is anyone, did anyone bring their sword? Like I had a pocket knife, like a little Swiss army pocket knife, but I wouldn't call it a sword. Are we all disobeying Christ right now that we don't have a, a cutlass? <laughs> you know, uh, this, okay, let's dive into the, what, what on earth is Jesus talking about? The sword there. Now there's two words in the Greek that the New Testament uses all the time for sword. One of them is more like a cutlass, like a long sword, like an, a, a weapon uh, of, uh, is like an offensive weapon. And then there's a second word for a sword that is much smaller, means like a little short sword, like a, like a two-sided dagger. And this thing could be used for self-defense, you know, traveling the road, uh, you know, you defend against bandits and so on. And it could also be used as a tool. Uh, you know, I don't know, maybe cut your apple or your bread or, you know, whittle a stick or, I don't know, pick your teeth. I don't know. It could be used as a tool as well. Which sword do you think Jesus chose here? Uh, he uses the word for the, the short sword, the, the dagger. Not an adequate offensive weapon to hurt someone, but a tool that could be self-defense and could be for providing yourself and doing day-to-day -day stuff. Big picture, the money bag, the knapsack, the sword, they represent provision, supplies, protection. What Jesus is saying is there was a time when you experienced hospitality from people, but things are about to change. Prepare yourself to experience hostility from them. And now why? Why, why? why would they need to prepare themselves for that? Why would that be happening? Why would that paradigm be shifting? Third thing Jesus points out is this was all according to God's plan. Verse 37. He says, for I tell you. Like, so why am I telling you this? Because this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And then he's going to quote Isaiah 53, 12, which that entire section, if you haven't read it, read it this week. Isaiah 53, it just shouts Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's, it's, it's about the suffering servant, and it's all about the Messiah. And Jesus says, this passage... Part of, part of that section, he was numbered with the transgressors. That must be fulfilled in me, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus is saying, you guys know what Isaiah wrote? It's about me. And if it's written about me, it's going to happen. And so you better get ready, because it says, I'm going to be lumped in with criminals. Translation, I'm going to be treated like a criminal. So if they treat me like a criminal, if you're anything like me, how do you expect they're going to treat you? Get ready. And Jesus was treated like a criminal, wasn't he? 
He was. Immediately after this, he would be arrested like a criminal. He'd be tried like a criminal. He'd be mocked like a criminal. He would be beaten like a criminal. He would be spat on like a criminal. He would be crucified like a criminal. He would be crucified between two actual criminals. Jesus, no doubt, was numbered among the transgressors. And somehow all of that wove together to carry out God's plan perfectly. And so I think Jesus wants his his followers to know that if it was really God's plan, think about this, if it was really God's plan to redeem humanity through the rejection of his son, God's children who are invited into that redeeming work must not be surprised should they experience such rejection. You, you, you process that? If this is how God redeemed humanity by, by, by His own Son being rejected, then we, as His children, shouldn't be surprised if we also are rejected. If God saw fit for Jesus, the Redeemer of humanity, to be rejected, is it not just if he then sees fit to use also our rejection for his purposes of redemption. Jesus wants his disciples to know that they, along with him, would face rejection. Now, that's what he spoke to them 2,000 years ago. What's this got to do with us? Like, in that time frame between the end of the Packers game and the beginning of the church service. What's this got to do with us? Well, to properly live this out and apply this, you'll see there will be a booth in the back with a lot of swords you can choose from to buy, and the money will go to uh, student ministries, and um, we'll also allow you to exchange your cloak, okay? We want to live this out properly. Now, listen, I think think the the disciples misunderstood this. And we don't want to to misunderstand it ourselves. We don't want to miss Jesus' point. Look at verse 38. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. What does he mean, is it enough? Does is it enough mean that two swords will suffice? Perfect. Just what I was thinking. Two swords were good. That hardly seems to be the case. Why? First of all, two swords would have never been adequate against a band of Roman soldiers. Are you kidding me? We got a couple bread knives, and they're coming with their spears and their, uh, you know, their, their muscles like they've been training for uh, you know, 300 or something, and uh, you know, they've got their shields, and it, it's, it, it's, it's not logical. Another reason why I don't think Jesus is saying, perfect, two swords, that'll work, is because in the next scene, Luke records that as Jesus is being arrested, what does Peter do? He pulls out one of these swords, lashes out, and cuts a guy's ear off. (laughs) And Jesus rebukes him. He says, no, that's not how we're doing business. And then Luke records, and Luke was a doctor, So I pay attention when Luke says something like this. It means something. Jesus grabs the guy's ear and heals it. You see that? 
we're not going to cut people. We're going to heal them. It doesn't make sense that Jesus would say, pick up your weapons of offense. Prepare yourself for a fight. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. In fact, to arm themselves for a fight would be completely incongruent with his entire message. It doesn't doesn't make sense. A lot of people cite this verse almost as a... As a, as a defense to say, see, Christians should carry weapons. It's not what this verse is saying. Doesn't say you shouldn't. Doesn't say you should. It's your choice. The Bible doesn't tell you either way. And this verse is not saying, Christians, you should carry a weapon. No. It is enough. Should be understood, like if my kids are fighting in the back of the minivan. I go, that's enough. Enough of this talk. You're missing the point. Right? Jesus is just saying, listen, guys, things are about to change. The world's going to reject me right now. And if you're, if you're going to follow me, know it's coming. And so how do you prepare for that fight? How do you be ready for that? Well, This is the same Jesus that said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend. This is the same Jesus that said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. This is the same Jesus of whom Paul wrote, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. This is the same Jesus that said, bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Pray for those who persecute you. See, loving, how do you, how do you pick up this sword and prepare for it? Loving those who don't love you back, that's, that's the Jesus lifestyle. So it's not a, a weapon of offense that we're talking about here. Jesus was preparing his followers for legitimate persecution. That's what he was getting at. Now, this still happens today. On August 14th of this year, this is two, two weeks ago, two, two weeks ago today, in Bankura, India, a man named Madhavan was the sole Christian in his entire extended family, was pulled out of a worship service on a Sunday morning. Much like this. A group came in, pulled him out, And he was severely beaten, drug out into a forest, covered in gasoline, and burnt alive. The authorities turned a blind eye. They said it was a family matter. Two of the people who led the group were two people uh, who had been pressuring Madhavan to denounce his faith. And they were his, that was his wife and his own son. That is the type of hostility that Jesus was preparing his disciples to endure. All 11 of the remaining disciples would have such a fate as their lot. All 11 disciples would suffer huge um, unthinkable persecution. 
They would be beaten, they would be imprisoned, they would be crucified, uh, they would be boiled alive, they would be banished to de- deserted islands, they would, uh, they would be severely mistreated, and Jesus was preparing them for that. And I'm so thankful that we in this country, we don't face that level of persecution. Praise Jesus. But I tell you, even more than being grateful for that, I desire that myself and hopefully us as well, hopefully everyone in this room, a a deeper prayer would be, God, if I were in such a situation, would you help me to follow Madhavan's example? Would you help me to refuse to renounce my faith in Jesus Christ? Now, it's unlikely that anyone in this room will actually suffer such intense persecution for the name of Christ unless God calls you and sends you to one of these hard places. Maybe then you would. And we're not all going to get called to go do that, but I pray that some of us would. And I pray that some of us would follow Madhavan's example. But it's unlikely that here in the U.S. we're ever going to suffer such intense persecution in the name of Christ, in the name of Christ. So before I talk about applying this here and now in the U.S., please let's not confuse disfavor for persecution. Let's not say persecution when we simply mean they don't like us. Let's not use the P word and degrade what happened to Jesus, his followers, and Madhavan. By calling, they just don't like us and they're kind of against us, calling that persecution. We're not going to say persecution until we smell the gasoline and we see the authorities turning a blind eye to it. That is persecution. But you do risk, if you're going to follow Christ here in the U.S., you do risk not being liked. It's real. You You risk being mocked put down, belittled, marginalized. It is real. In our day, you will be viewed uh, by many as part of the problem. Now, they might not say, renounce your faith in Christ or we're going to make fun of you. That's probably not it. But you will be viewed in an unfavorable light by many should you, say, proclaim that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Should you have the audacity to tell someone that because of their sin, they are separated from God and warranting the wages of that sin? If you believe that God created the universe, you're going to get made fun of. If you believe that, let's say, the unborn have a right to life, you're probably going to be made fun of, protested against. If you believe that God actually just created male and female and he didn't mess up and there are two genders, you are going to be put down. It's going to happen. If you believe and hold to this that married, monogamous, consensual, heterosexual sex is the only sex that is God-honoring, you will be put down. You'll be called a bigot, narrow-minded, religious, a nut, a lot of things. 
And this could put pressure on your faith that if you don't determine to hold on to Christ, you might let go of him and hold on to the world. Teenagers, especially young adults, this pressure is heavier and heavier and heavier. Parents of teens know that this is the pressure. This is the world that we live in. People don't like Jesus. And if you look like Jesus at all, they're probably not going to like you either. My question is, are you all right with that? Have you come to terms with that? Have you thought that through? Right? Our bodies will never go where our minds haven't already gone. That's why we run fire drills at school, right? So that we know when the thing goes, eh, 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 we know what to do. Have you thought this through? Uh, now, I believe that Jesus would say to us, okay, think it through, be prepared, but don't worry about it. Jesus would say, hey, listen, I warned you, I told you this is going to be the case. As it simply comes down, I think Jesus would say, guys, if they didn't like me, and if you guys look like me at all, they're not going to like you either. Now, Let's pause and make sure uh, it has to be Jesus that they don't like in us. Like, we can't just be a jerk <laughs> and be like, well, see, persecution. They don't like me because I'm a Christian. Well, maybe we, we can't be like annoying and judgmental and, and domineering and condescending and so on. And then say, well, see, they just don't like Christians. Eh, I don't know. If Jesus wouldn't want to do a road trip with you, you know, you can't blame the world for it. So think, think this through. Am I a Christ-like coworker? Am I a Christ-like student? Am I a Christ-like employee? Am I a Christ-like husband? Am I a Christ-like brother? Am I a Christ-like sister? Am I a Christ-like friend? Am I a Christ-like neighbor? In any when I go to Quick Trip, am I Christ-like? Am I a Christ-like Packers fan? In every sphere... We better make sure that the only offense that we put out there is Christ and his cross. The only thing that it's okay for people to be offended with by us is the Christ-likeness of our lifestyle and the Christ-centeredness of our message. Do you hear that? The only thing, the only thing that it's okay if they get offended at us and, and dislike us is just because we live like Jesus and we speak like Jesus. And if it's really Jesus in you that they don't like, you can, you can go to bed at night, you can sleep soundly, knowing that their issue is actually with Jesus. It's not with you. If it's really Jesus, their issue is with Jesus. It's not with you. Okay. So... What would we do with this? I think we would evaluate our lives a bit on a pretty regular basis. We'd look in the mirror and go, okay, God, is there anything in me that offends other people that also offends you? You hear that? Is there anything in me that offends other people that also offends you? If that's the case, Lord, would you show what to me and would you, would you help me grow to be more like Jesus? If, if that's flowing out of a wound, would you help me find the healing I need? If that's flown out of pride, would you, would you melt that pride in me? You get what I'm saying? We would evaluate to make sure it's, it's only Christ and the, his cross that's an offense. Now, 
Here's my challenge to you. The second part then would be, would you, church, evaluate your commitment to Jesus? Like this week, as you do your devotional time, maybe you spend a little time in prayer, you spend a little time reading the Word, um, would you take time to evaluate your commitment to Jesus and ask this question, am I prepared to be rejected for my faithfulness to Christ? Am I really prepared for that? If you'd stand now, if you're able, I'll close in prayer and read a benediction. So Lord, we hear you preparing your followers so many years ago for the hostility, the disfavor uh, that they're about to receive. And we see it's, it's actually tied to the fact that they don't like you. And if they don't like you, they're not going to like us if we look like you or sound like you. So Jesus, first thing, would you help us be more like you? And, and second thing, Lord, would you help us trust that if someone doesn't like Jesus in us, that is totally according to God's plan and that you're not worried and would you so help us to be Christians who persevere, who would be faithful to you um, through anything. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And now may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God richly